welcome to Dealcast, the weekly M&A podcast presented to you by Merger Market and SS&C Intralinks. I'm Juliana Needham, a business journalist who's been covering M&A for more than a decade. In this episode, we'll be getting under the hood of 2021's record M&A haul across Europe and getting to grips with the 2022 deal pipeline. Joining me is Merger Market EMEA Managing Editor John West. And let's start with what made 2021 such a vintage year. $1.4 trillion in EMEA M&A deals so far in 2021, according to DealLogic data, the highest total since the pre-Lehman high point of 2007. Against the backdrop of the COVID pandemic, what's led this charge? Well, the clearly pent up demand, as we know, the first uh, sort of two quarters of 2020 saw a significant dip in activity and that then rebounded in the second half of 2020 and as was sustained into the first half of 2021. It's clear that a lot of that pent up demand still uh, was there to to be unwound. And dry powder is the key driver of why those deals are taking place. There's record dry powder still sort of two and a half to three trillion in combined venture capital and private equity dry powder globally. And much of that has been brought to bear across EMEA. Um, The first half of 2021 was really stellar. We thought that there would be a slowdown and indeed the acceleration throughout the third and fourth quarters has been such that we believe the second half of 2021 in Europe at least will be more active than the first half. Not true of all regions globally. Sector dynamics, of course, played their role as well. Tech, for example, another stellar year. And there are various different reasons why technology will continue to be strong throughout 2022. Yeah, and on the subject of telecoms, media and tech deals, we've seen some $303 billion in tech deals across EMEA this year, which is the highest on record. Surely the work from home mandates can't be behind all of that. Indeed not. Just to put that figure into some kind of context that you referenced there, $303 billion worth of, of tech deals across Europe this year. That's across more than 3,000 deals and it's up two thirds uh, year on year. Now, you're quite right. Working from home can't be behind all of that, no matter how much uh, remote working technology we require and Netflix we're consuming. Uh, more important than all of those things is the digital digitalization trend. Um, and that's been certainly accelerated by the pandemic. Everyone will be aware of rising prices and shortages. So in all areas from supply chain management um, through to health tech, another big factor in the pandemic as people look to uh, do more healthcare online, whether that's consultations with doctors or managing their uh, appointments, running the gamut from therapeutic interventions in the mental health space through to accounting software that smooths and automates reimbursement in those territories where there are reimbursement models, either insurance or state-led. None of that shows signs of abating. And indeed, Deologic's likely-to-issue database shows that there's some 300 sponsor-backed tech companies in Europe that have been held for five years or more And a lot of that will come to market in 2022. You know, you mentioned working from home mandates. Clearly, there are some very prosaic themes that come out of that to do with 
particularly consumer um, consumer consumption, e-commerce, and of course food delivery. And you know, a bellwether deal in terms of that shift in consumer behavior uh, was perhaps the $8.1 billion takeover of the food delivery platform Walt Enterprises by its US um, peer DoorDash announced last month. That's perhaps a one of the deals that does chime with that mandate that you were talking about earlier. So on the subject of Walt, that's just one example of mega deal making in Europe this year. What's driving those ticket sizes higher? Yes, you make a good point. Deals worth at least $2 billion uh, combined to a total thus far this year of $827 billion, which is just under 60% of the region's total M&A value. So, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing larger ticket sizes. Um, and indeed, though far from a done deal, uh, the largest of these was, of course, KKR's um, offer over $40 billion to acquire Telecom Italia. Um, that in itself would represent the largest leverage buyout uh, by a sponsor in EMEA on record. Um, sponsors have been very active in uh, the mega deal space. Evidently, there's a lot of that dry powder, as I referenced earlier, that's chasing a finite, albeit large, number of assets. And that certainly alongside um, still, for the time being, soft financing conditions has driven valuations higher. Um, indeed, there have been 10 uh, sponsor-led deals worth at least $5 billion, four above the $10 billion mark. And, uh, you know, let's just take a couple of examples. Um, you've had CVC's uh, $5 billion acquisition of Unilever's tea business, Pamira's takeover of the email security firm Mimecast for $5.8 billion. Uh, and that last deal was announced only earlier this month. So you mentioned private equity quite a lot there. But what about rival forms of capital? There's been lots of talk of US blank check companies or SPACs making a play for European assets. Has that come off this year? It's certainly true that sponsor-led activity was uh, another record element of 2021's performance. $250 billion just shy of that uh, overall, representing uh, you know a three-quarters increase on the 2020 value. And the first time it was above $200 million uh, since 2006. So private equity is a huge slice of the pie. But to come back to your question about the rivalry between private equity and SPACs, much play um, through 20, late 2020 into early 2021 of the amount of capital that's been raised by uh, special purpose acquisition companies, particularly in the United States, where the regulatory environment is much uh, more conducive to the formation of those black check, bank check companies. And there was a lot of talk about, you know, obviously there's there's competition for assets as that money comes in and it faces rivalry from private equity and it just creates a situation where there are more buyers on, on the buy side than there are necessarily good quality corporates to chase after. That certainly has driven valuations higher in the United States. And as you'll be well aware, um, there tends to be a valuation gap between the US and, and Europe, which... Uh, 
has been sort of reinforced by the amount of capital that's at play in the US. And as a result of that, with a lot of SPACs in the market chasing decent uh, opportunities in the M&A market, there's been a lot of rhetoric that they could be looking overseas in order to get a better return. 2021 hasn't really seen that crystallized fully. There were just 30 US PACs investing into uh, EMEA deals in 2021. And it's worth noting that more than a third of those 11 indeed were Israeli tech deals. Uh, Tel Aviv, of course, is arguably more plugged into the US VC sponsor and NASDAQ listing capital uh, flow uh, sort of uh, pathway than than many European markets. But I do think that in 2022, especially as many of those SPACs, as you'll be well aware, only have a two-year investment mandate, um, they have to return the capital if that mandate, uh, if that timetable uh, goes past the two-year point. A lot of the investment managers who are looking to strike a deal will, I think, look overseas in the first half of 2022 and to Europe and to tech particularly in order to strike uh, those deals and get their capital to work. And that does raise the question about whether Europe, the UK are doing enough to encourage tech startups to kind of grow to a bigger size and get that US investment. That's right. And I think that, you know, obviously the UK has been involved in doing listing reforms to try and get more tech companies to list in the UK rather than in the US. Clearly, if you're being bought by a US SPAC, you end up listed in the United States. The UK has been trying very hard to incentivize companies to stay homegrown, list earlier and list in London by changing the corporate governance rules so that um, founders can retain control for a longer period, even if they list capital in London. But I think there's still quite a lot more to do in order to incentivize that kind of activity. And policymakers have a role to play in order to build up the European tech space to rival that and get into the capital flows that, as I mentioned, you see in the United States and Tel Aviv. Yeah. And obviously there's a loss of nationalism and tech wars, as it were, going on, which is likely to impact deal making going forward. So looking at macro, rates fears are causing some concerns for both the M&A and IPO pipelines. How will moves by central banks impact deal flow? Right. Yes. And we were, you know, we were just talking about sort of NASDAQ listings and LSE listings. And when you see the volatility indices, as they have been in recent weeks, creep up above sort of 25, that's when you begin to have the kind of environment that isn't really conducive to placing large amounts of stock in new new stock into the market. And ECM bankers will get jittery about that. So too, M&A advisors who will be concerned about financing changes if central bank tightening or rather when central bank tightening occurs. I think indeed part of the reason why 2021 has been such a bumper year for M&A, though there are many secular trends that uh, contribute to that and of course the pent up demand from, from the pandemic period of 2020, much of the urgency has been to get deals done now and lock in the financing before central banks um, start to turn off the taps, particularly in the beginning of 2022. I will say, though, that central bankers are in a really tough spot because on the one hand, you know, 
we speak just as UK inflation figures have been published showing um, consumer price index at 5.1%. But there are three components of that which account for two percentage points of that. Used cars, which have hugely increased in value because the supply chain of new cars has been dented, um, electricity and gas. And it's not obvious that if central bankers decide to raise rates that actually it will impact on that inflation. If you have externalities creating the inflationary drive, it's unclear what the interest rate hikes will do to domestic economies other than just create pain for consumers. And I do think as well, we should put this into some kind of context, even if we see the kind of 0.1 or 0.25 percentage point interest rate increases that are kind of being talked about, we're still talking about historically low rates and access to financing, I think, will remain relatively solid. Indeed, the inflation that we're seeing, as I mentioned, is in is in no small part due to supply chain dislocation following from COVID, but also the nationalism and uh, protectionism that you evoked earlier, Juliana. And I think that that in itself throws up opportunities for investment, particularly around digitalization, supply chain logistics and infrastructure. Um, that kind of investment is going to be regionally required, whether that's in the Americas, Europe, uh, Middle East and Africa or uh, Asia in order to deal with some of those price pinch points in the years to come. And one last question for you. We're just about to go into 2022. There are lots of moving parts at the moment with the potential rate rise, inflation and obviously the Omicron variant. What's 2022 going to look like for dealmaking? It's very, it's a good question. Um, if I gaze into my crystal ball, obviously the rate rises are coming, which will have an impact on financing. And I do think that it's possible that we will see a slowdown in deal making from the record highs that we've seen. You know, it, it does tend to make people nervous when you start saying this is the best year since 2006 or 2007, because everybody then knows what happened in 2008 and 2009. So those of us who are the greybeards of the operation start to get a little bit concerned that we're riding for another fall. I do think that policymakers, and I would say both on the monetary policy and fiscal policy side, are more aware of the different levers that they should be pulling in order to try to manage demand against the backdrop of both coronavirus and the supply chain dislocation we were talking about, given the experiences that were learned by policymakers during the um, 0809 crisis. So I, I'm, I'm relatively confident that we can engineer a soft landing, but there's no doubt about it that there is it is not possible to sustain the increases in both valuation and deal flow that we've seen from 2020 into 2021 indefinitely. So I think we will continue to see good activity. I think there are secular trends, as I've talked about, whether that's dealing with um, supply chain dislocation or digitalization that will continue to drive deals. And I think that technology will once again be the largest deal sector in 2022. I, I think we're looking at a, a busy year, but probably off the highs of 2021. That's great. Thanks very much, John. Thank you. That was John West, Merger Market EMEA Managing Editor. 
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of DealCast presented by Merger Market and SS&C Intralinks. Please rate, review and follow the podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or look out for your Merger Market news alert. For more information, check out our show notes. Join us next week for another episode.